Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to episode 26 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Costas Kepalakis on the show with us today. Costas has led excellence journeys in Shingo prize winning organizations. Costas is passionate about upskilling and helping others grow to create a better future for themselves and others. He's going to share his journey and knowledge with us today on driving sustainable change within organizations. Let's get into the episode. Costas, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brad. It's good to be here. Costas, I understand you were introduced to the elements of enterprise excellence early on in your life. Do you mind explaining where it all started for you? Yeah, I mean, enterprise excellence has always been a passion of mine since uh, a young age. I guess you could say that, um, so the way I usually introduce myself is I say, I usually say I'm Greek, but I've lived most of my life outside of Greece. And the reason for that is my father used to work for Procter & Gamble. So we moved quite a bit when I was young. Um, so I went to, I, we lived in Egypt, in Cairo. And then I lived in Switzerland. Um, then I went back to Athens and I went to university in, uh, in, in the UK. And I guess getting in contact with cultures from a young age, but also my father bringing the topic also at home regarding, you know, working for big companies. Um, always drove me into the direction of business and excellence. I mean, later on in my life, the topic of discipline and excellence came really strong with, uh, I would say, wrestling. And where I learned a lot to, to fail and fail a lot in the beginning in order to start winning. Um, but it also brought me this idea of, of what it, how important training and upskilling is, how important discipline is. Um, I, in university, I basically studied finance, which I discovered late, quite late that it was something I'm not really passionate about. But in doing so, I actually I founded, um, I found the direction of operational excellence in, uh, I think it was called operations management at the time, this course, which drove me into going into university in, in Cranfield and to study logistics and supply chain management. There, I mean, I got really in touch with the idea of the, the Toyota production system in Toyota. Uh, I always had a passion for cars. When then I actually did um, my master's thesis with Mercedes and luckily I landed a job in Toyota, in Toyota Motor Europe in Brussels as a graduate working in quality. And that really brought me really close to the topic of excellence, obviously, right? So going into the, into the mothership, let's say, um, was, was an unbelievable experience. Yeah, getting that chance to work in Toyota early on, that would set you on the path. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the graduate program is amazing because you get to the experience um, actually living the production system. So we were sent to, uh, to the UK for a couple, two months, basically, working day shifts and night shifts, building cars. And that was the philosophy. It was more like it didn't matter whether you work in, let's say, production or in development or whether you work in HR or finance, we produce cars and you will go and understand what it means to produce cars. And so really living it and going through the experience of, of attack time and repetitive work and standard work and, and how do we drive improvements. But also later on in the, in, in the role that I had in Toyota was uh, a lot of uh, coaching by Japanese mentors, uh, a lot of um, understanding how to simplify a lot of things. So 
you know, they talk about the A3, you know, as, as, as the report. Yeah, that is, that is very true. And you have to really bring it all down to an A3. And I very much remember my first A3. And somebody just said, okay, can you make a report in A3? And I said, okay. So it was literally all text. It was nothing else but text. And I was like, okay. And then he, my Japanese mentor at the time said, hmm, make it more visual. And I was like, okay, then no words, just pictures. And he looks at the two, he says, combined. <laughs> that was literally my first experience with an A3. So that's oh, it's, uh, it's amazing. And having them bring the visuality piece in early on in your coaching side too. Because I want to go back to one thing. You mentioned your early life in wrestling and the discipline it brought you and the understanding of repetitive practice and having to work so hard at it. And I know wrestling is a tough gig. I've heard that so many times from guests I've had on the show. Jeff Sutherland was talking about it when he was watching gymnast train and then he also got involved in training and in that side of things also. It's just amazing that this is coming up in, in a number of shows. Why do you think it's important to have that discipline and real attention to practice and knowing that you need to practice and practice? I think that generally um, if we observe our culture today, we, 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 we skim on the surface quite a lot. And uh, we believe we understand certain topics, even though we just maybe watch the video or tried it out one time and we say, okay, now we have an opinion because, you know, everybody's opinionated everywhere. Honestly speaking, I think the, the, the beauty of trying to do things again and again and try to execute in terms of practicing, it gives you insights. You know, you first you think you try to understand and then you realize that mm, in theory that was good, but then practice it again and you realize that something is not going on right in practice and the more the more the more you practice first of all you automate it you automate the whole idea in the back of your mind so it becomes a more like um reaction as well so you don't have to think about it um as we all know like our brain takes consumes 20 percent of our energy and so it's hard work to do the first time but as we automate it you create the pathways and i think that ultimately it gives you, you go deep into the topic and try to, you actually discover things that you didn't see in the first hand. And I think that also reminds me, like, for example, in Toyota, where you just stand and look at a process, you have an assumption or you think you understand, but then you watch it like another 50 times and it creates different insights. And the same thing happens with, with repetitive practice on the same topic. Gustav, why do you think we've lost that skill or it's not as common now, being out of willing to put the time into something like a, a wrestling technique or like a technique of you know maybe spending time where something's being created and really observe it deeply and understand it i guess it must come out from the fact that we um we crave quick wins it's sort of like our social media has changed over the last you know maybe decade where basically we we, we get immediate immediate responses and immediate um you know, dopamine hits on, on everything we do. So we, we crave the new. We crave always trying to find out new things. And, and, and uh, it takes time and effort and discipline to go through a topic. And it's sometimes tiring. And I think that it's, uh, we, just change, we just choose to, you know, go the path of least resistance, to be honest. Yeah, I, I see that myself. Costas, I know you've, you've led um, journeys and organizations where they've achieved Shingo prizes and real excellence. And you're, you're doing the same again now at, at Hilti leading it through. What do you think are the key elements to make the difference of actually having something sustained? People put the energy at it long enough 
to actually make it stick. Well, I guess initially for them to get involved and actually want to improve and transform, but then actually help it stick and sustain. I mean, I think that generally when we, uh, when we lean guys think about lean, we tend to go for academically correct in many cases. And I think if you look at it as a scale of being like academically correct for the book, no, the way Toyota wrote it and everything right now, you know, and the other extreme would be probably do whatever it takes, but drive change. You know, I always try to hit it somewhere like towards the driving change part. Um, I think it was a, one of the Japanese managers at one of the conferences of Lean and, uh, you know, people going up and saying how they were driving Lean in their organizations. And he came up and he says, you know, forget about what everybody else said. Try to find Lean for yourself. And I think that's quite important to, you know, not scare off people with the Lean lingo. And, on it, and um, you know, now you have this new wave of Agile, you know, so it feels like every there's a new thing that's coming around and because again, it's the new thing and it's shiny. We all chase that. But in order to get consistent, I would say excellence in, in your enterprise, you need to make it work for you. In other words, make it work with the language and honestly speaking, um, excite people. You need to make it fun and exciting and engaging. Um, and the least resistance that you're causing and the more excitement and the more benefits, uh, the more you'll have chances of success. Otherwise, you know, increasing resistance will only create people, you know, to look the other way and not really focus on what you want to help them do. Well, so there's two key points there I'm hearing, and this is quite unique. I haven't really covered this topic on the show before. You're saying, because it's really, forget about lean, forget about agile, but really make the journey your own and then make it exciting and make it fun to help engage people. I mean, the best thing is like, if people don't even realize they're doing lean, yes, you can show it's 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 nice that they can show them other things, but um, it's much more um, that's magical when 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 they don't actually realize that they're doing it, right? I mean, I remember in uh, in my previous company where I was working in Vistaprint, we we wanted to really create an engaging storyline, so we thought about okay, let's make a sort of a, a cartoon character, but then we spoke to our communications team and they said, yeah, you know. Communicate a cartoon character may not work actually in adults, but you know what adults love? Legos. So we built the whole storyline with like Lego characters, you know, from uh, we call them Tim Woods, you know, and obviously, you know, the eight ways and all that stuff. But all, all our communication strategy was revolved around Legos and building posters and explaining to them sort of like in a, in a fun and interactive way with games. I mean, all our, our training sessions have, fun fun games right so you can teach lean with three tennis balls which is amazing right so you can teach about teamwork and flow and and, and ways and, and everything with just three tennis balls so the the, the, the good thing is that if you, the more fun and interactive you make it and the less philosophical uh the more people get engaged but of course it's speaking the language at the right level you know when you're speaking to leaders they're not thinking tennis balls and and and, and lego they're thinking you know, how do we, how do we impact the business? How do we make, how do we engage the people on, on driving improvements? What are the right metrics? So you need to rather cater your language to the different levels as well. So you're really saying cost is tailored to the persona or the culture you're dealing with at the time. And I guess that goes to the same as you're saying to make the journey your own, you know, adapt the journey to the culture of your organization. Because on that, I've got a story. I, I was talking to another company the other week 
and I was reflecting on when I was young working in a metal workshop and it was a tough, hot in Brisbane metal workshop and I was 12 years old. And there was two things that the older manager, and he was quite tough, would say to me, he'd say, don't pick up something twice. And the other thing he used to say to me is, don't you wait around and don't have a machine waiting around. Figure out how things don't wait. You know, because and it's funny, he, he didn't know a thing about Toyota production systems or anything like that. He just knew an old adage, which is don't touch it twice and don't wait. That's absolutely right. You know, that's, uh, that's a funny story. Exactly. That's exactly it. If people can speak the language and not really realize it, you know, we're even talking about here, how do we bring uh, a lean in sales? And we're actually integrating um, a lot of the, th- you know, the concepts of shop floor management within their CRM system. And we're trying to do it in a way that they don't really realize that they're doing shop floor management in the classic lean techniques, let's say, but that they're living it as part of their sales process. So it's quite interesting that you can actually integrate those things. What, what do you find, Costas? What, what do you find that, like, I've got a background in applying lean and agile to sales, but what do you find that, you know, these techniques that we know about in excellence apply well to operations, but they also apply to sales or finance or HR and really help gain? What is it that you feel makes them able to apply across the different elements of business? I mean, we're all working, trying to achieve something better, faster cheaper. We're trying to get engaged. Um, and at the same time, I mean, it's, it's funny, you can apply this everywhere. Absolutely. Um, in hospitals, you can see the patient as being, you know, it's kind of like the product going through the, the process and you don't want, you know, you don't want the guy to wait that. And as you, as a patient, you don't want to wait around. You don't want to go to the same doctor many, many, many times, you know, you just want to get in and get out and, you know, have the, the experience in order to, you know, get better as fast as possible. HR is the same thing, you know, when we're looking at hiring, it's the same, exactly the same topic, exactly the same concept. What happens? The candidate is waiting for long periods of time and he gets frustrated or that we don't have the right requirements in order to understand the kind of person that we want or how does it play? I just did a transformation map uh, exercise in Latin America and the finance teams, you know, because the finance helps sales and helps parts of their organizations and they have certain things that they need to do. In other words, you know, what are the things we can automate? How can they add as a, as a business partner? How can they support, you know, and, and not, you know, hold the business back? And um, they absolutely find, find a lot of lean elements that they can use because everybody has processes as well. In development, it's also quite interesting. You know, we're doing hardware development here and um, not only, but we also, we also do software, but mainly hardware development and, you know, agile coming from the software world. If you apply it one-to-one, you can really, you know, um, drive the business in the wrong direction. Because, for example, in software, they're always thinking, okay, minimal viable product, release as fast as possible. You can't do that with hardware necessarily. But if you take the concepts and you translate them to what it means for hardware, in other words, it's not only about minimal viable product and releases, but more like sprints and how do we uh, answer knowledge gaps with simulation, with prototyping, with, you know, um, um, going fast to, to the customer and just doing small tests, but not necessarily releasing in terms of selling the product, you can definitely apply it in the same way. And sales as well. People don't want to live in a world where there's a lot of waste, and a lot of things that are holding them back, a lot of waiting, a lot of you know, inconvenient processes. Nobody want to, wants to work in a world like this. They want to work in a world where basically everything is running more smoothly, where they have the opportunity to drive 
creative topics. Nobody wants to do the repetitive operational things in that sense as well either. So we're also introducing automation where it makes sense as well, right? And so we're trying to also embrace the digital elements as well because effectively digitalization and, and, and lean goes very well hand in hand, right? So leveraging the digitalization elements is also quite important. I mean, right now we're in a situation where most of the most of us are in, in either a lockdown or restricted travel. And we leveraged, for example, very quickly, um, virtual facilitation of virtual gamble walks, virtual Kaizen workshops. And at the beginning, people were like, oh, this is not going to work. And you guys are traveling 50%. What's going to happen? We managed to do that as well. And in, and in areas of the, of the business where, you know, it was uh, not only operationals, but also, you know, services as well. Wow. So you guys did pivot fast and move into alternative ways to achieve the same result virtually. That's impressive. Because as you, you mentioned to me and to the, on the show about, you know, make it fun, make it engaging to help change happen. And then you spoke about put it into the language of the people and to make it, I guess that helps people ad- adapt to it and evolve with it more easily. But there's a piece you were chatting me about then about the, the behavior. You've been talking about a number of behaviors that, um, really exude people achieving excellence and actually moving forward. What is that piece around behavior versus the old traditional tools and techniques of lean that you're talking about? I mean, um, I would say now, what is it? 10 years ago, I got in contact with the Shingo Institute with, uh, with uh, Eilish Henry at the time and um, was, you know, a really profound, let's say, revelation at, um, of that it's not only about the methods and tools, you know, I came from Toyota, so trying to bring it to a non-Toyota company, especially an American one that's on the stock market, you know, I, I was struggling to understand why is it so different? Why is it? Why am I struggling to actually bring this topic? You know, um, and at the time I was like, you know, traveling eighty percent and traveling different cultures, and, and and I was really struggling to understand what, why is it that these things don't stick. And um, with the Shingo Institute, it was the realization that, you know, it's not only about the methods and the tools. It's really about the behaviors and the way we, we try to explain it in, in the, make it more a little bit fun and engaging. We say like, look, the, the, the methods and the tools are like your street signs and the quality of your roads and, you know, your, your procedure to actually get a driver's license, right? These are the methods and the tool side. But if you have a crazy Greek like me driving, you know, and the behavior, then it breaks everything. It doesn't doesn't matter how good your roads or your signs are, right? Because the behavior is not there. Now, that's not to say that the roads and the signs and the driving license is not important. But as important as those are, driving the right behaviors is the other piece of the puzzle. And that for me was like an aha moment. And I was like, okay, how do we then make that alive? How do we bring that into reality? So ever since, um, I would say we've been driving this topic of behavior change than anything else. So I mean, we're trying to experiment with various things, like always thinking about what systems are driving which behaviors, you know? I mean, even the, the American company that's on the stock market was, I mean, that was funny because then we were just observing like the strategies changing every year and a half or two years. And I'm thinking, why, why are we doing this? system is driving behavior. So the fact that they need to show something to the shareholders changes that behavior of the company, right? And, and the more 
team-based level, I mean, what we're trying to do now is develop like not only KPIs, so performance indicators, but KBIs, behavioral indicators. And we're doing this on various levels where basically we take the principles um, very close to the shingle uh, principles. Um, we even made it even simpler. We said, okay, there's principles that are aligning the organization, there are principles that are engaging the organization, and there are principles that are improving the organization. So keeping that at that level align, engage, improve. What kind of behaviors, and let's keep it super simple, like maybe two per each, so let's have maximum six behaviors, do we want as a team to live? And then we make the teams actually define certain behaviors. And periodically, whether that is, you know, biweekly or monthly, then they review and they say, well, actually, did we, did we leave these, did we actually leave these behaviors or not? And now we're driving this topic, um, I mean, more and more and more and more and integrated on the things that we're doing. For example, we're running it now with, with um, the plant director's team. And we said, okay, if we want to drive this topic forward, we need to actually start with you. And I was, uh, we're very lucky that the head of manufacturing was actually quite open. We ran a workshop, they developed their own behaviors and now they're, they're reviewing them monthly. And, you know, it's always, it's a part of the sort of, you know, retrospective or the uh, feedback to actually see how they can improve further and further. In addition, we're also driving it with teams that are trying to drive agile. And we're actually saying we're not agile coaches in that sense that we're not the perfect masters of the methods, but we know behaviors. So let's, let's help you drive the behavior part. So they have, and then we get the observation like where some teams are driving, you know, different types of behaviors with new methods and tools. And now we're coming in and say, okay, let's just have a moment that we come together. And in your retrospective, you don't only review the project and the deliverables of the project and how the sprint went, but let's take an opportunity now to integrate behaviors as well into the sprint. I actually took part in the uh, Scrum at Scale course with Jeff Sutherland. And I was, in, I, was, I was saying that, you know, we're trying out these things. And he seemed quite curious to see how it actually works out. And to be honest, I think it's, it's, uh, it's really amazing what you can actually start to get as a momentum. Um, I mean, now we're also revamping our continuous improvement system. And again, it's not about, it's, we realized, I mean, we can, we can simplify it. We can even make it digital. We can make the, you know, everything so simple. We can make it visual. But if, you, if you're not driving certain behaviors, it's just a nice system with a simple, you know, idea card. Maybe it's digital, so you don't have to, you know, do double work. But at the end of the day, your number of ideas or improvements doesn't shift. So we said, okay, that's good. That's the basics, but we need to add this element of, hey, what do we want? What kind of behaviors do we want to drive as a team at the team level? So now we're having it running it from the highest level, let's say, with the plant directors. We're having it, you know, running also with the teams and step by step by step by step, we're integrating more and more teams on this idea of what kind of behaviors do we want? And then if they're not driving the right behaviors, start doing like a basic problem solving analysis to say, well, why aren't we driving these behaviors? Is it because our KPI systems or is it because our meeting structures or is it because we're firefighting all the time or is our problem solving is not strong enough? Or, so there's, it opens up a door or an opportunity of, of discussing different things, not just the classic performance indicators. Yeah, that's powerful. And Costa, I can see the connection of it all right back to you mentioning about your early days and wrestling that practice and, you know, really the discipline to it but then going on to getting change in an organization where you need people to practice 
what do you need them to practice? You need them to practice behaviors. But also the, the fact that you're saying typically even at an executive level, there's like four to six behaviors that will actually, if we can nail that, it'll shift the company dramatically. Like I, I find that to myself. It's, it's, it's not a heap of behaviors, is it, that you can focus on to actually create a dramatic shift? That's correct. I mean, um, before I joined Hilti, the team here, you know, try to do, they're doing an amazing job, right? And what they had done at the time is actually they tried to explain everything about everything. And so we have a, a nice booklet that is, you know, really well done, really well done. And then I counted the number of behaviors are inside. One, I, I literally counted them and there are 200, 200 behaviors. Wow. And so then I said, okay, can you expect anybody? And by the way, they're all amazing. You know, they're all perfect, right? So if you were to write a book about lean, it's like, okay, this is awesome. It has everything in here. But you're not moving the needle on anything. So we said, okay, just get the few things right. And by the way, once you get those behaviors up and running, change them. You know, okay, that's it. This, this one's working very, very well. Is there something else we want to introduce now that we need to actually level, level it up or to create some sort of even breakthrough on the way we behave? then feel free to change it. It's, it's not meant to be frozen. It's meant to be living. And so, and people start to understand this now. And so it's, it's, it's trying to, you know, create traction. And it's funny because a lot of, and this is like the discussion I've also had with Peter Hines from the Shingo Institute is like, you know, we're part of this uh, um, enterprise excellence sort of, uh, it's called consortium of, of different companies that he yeah, brings together. And they share best practices. This network, right? And, uh, and, and the reason I'm part of this network was because I told Peter straight, I said, I've been to so many of these lean, like, or enterprise excellence, operational excellence, agile, however we call it, um, um, what's it called, gatherings of different companies, and everybody's talking about tools, and everybody's talking about methods, and literally in the, in, in the whole event that I go to, it's one or two companies that are asking the behavior question. And everybody's looking at them as if they're aliens. And last time this happened to me. And I was like, you know, am I, am I, am I the only one? And then the guy from Danaher is like, you got it. Behaviors, that's the way to go. And I'm thinking, man, you're the only person in this room. Everybody else saying, my 5S, my lean assessment score is about 80 or 90%. No, 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 no. And then you ask them, okay, so how many ideas are you getting per person per year? Mm, you know, or... You know, what kind of engagement are you driving to in the company? Oh, yeah, you know, well, okay, so let's stop talking about the methods. Let's stop talking about how perfect your value stream mapping tool is. It doesn't matter. It does, really doesn't matter. So, so bring it down, make it simple, make it approachable. Live simply, even if it's three behaviors, just make sure you're living them correctly, you know, consistently. And then we can introduce something new. So without mastering the basics of behaviors, where all of a sudden we have this huge library of like 1,500 different techniques, you know, with all these Kanban systems and how correct, how to do that. It doesn't matter. You know, it, keeping it simple, I think, was one of the things that I probably learned a lot in Toyota. Super simple stuff. And yes, they're quite advanced, but they have the fundamentals, you know, to the bone, to the bone. Because the guy who gives the, the Toyota production system training to newbies is not some sort of lean guru that comes in from the OMDD team, it's, it's the guy from the shop floor. He's one of the team leaders or one of the group managers. Actually, it's a team leader that does. It. And he knows it 
and he knows the basics. And, you know, get the basics right. 90% of your problems can be solved with the basics. And then you can have like an expert team to help you break through, you know, a different level of performance, which, okay, you need, if we don't have the basics, don't try to break through. And that's another thing that we realized with the sort of the Shingo Institute. There's like sort of phases that you go through in a company, right? And there's like stability. You need to get your, if you go in a company, you see the, the performance like that, get the basics, right? Get your standard work in place, you know, get, get you know, the, the super simple things to stabilize your performance, then start making your basic improvements that will give you a big jump anyways. And then you can talk about more advanced things like, I don't know, Hoshin Canary or whatever we want to call it, we want to really break through the performance, right? So that's so what you're saying is depending on where you're at on your journey, your behaviors may change what you're focused on. Like I'm, I'm hearing you say, if you're at that basic level where quality is out of control, there's a lot of chaos firefighting, you might focus on one or two behaviors there to get control. And then as you shift along, it could change. Like hopefully those behaviors you focused on become habit, I guess, from what you're saying. And then you can go forward to the more advanced. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely correct. But that, that requires and, us to practice and, and to not jump to the shiny stuff so quick. Yeah, that's the thing about, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard to get the basics right. And, you know, I mean, I took part in, in, in another, um, w- there's a university here, ETH, and uh, there's a great professor there, Professor Netland, and he did, a, he did a study, I think, in Volvo across, I don't know, 60 or 70 plants. And one of the things that he came back with was, at no matter which phase you're at at your journey, and let's say it's these three general phases, you always need to put energy into the system, right? You always need to put energy into the system. So it's not as if you reach a point where it magically just happens by itself. And I tell you also, he'll, um, Toyota also put a lot, always, you know, continues to put a lot of energy into getting continuously the basics right as well, right? So it's not as if it comes for free. I don't think it necessarily becomes... Um, it, ha- it ha- becomes a habit to people, yes, but because people always change roles and you always have new people, you know, it, you always have to put energy to get them back into, in, into understanding the basics again. So it eventually becomes a habit, but because those people change, you know. Yeah, you need that system of learning working all the time. So Costa says those three key elements we've spoken about today, there's an element of make it fun, use the language and culture of the organization and apply it in that way to suit the organization. And then the other part you've spoken about is focus on the few key behaviors at a time, depending on where you're at, not necessarily tools and techniques, focus on the behaviors that will help you achieve the results there. Because what would you, what advice would you give to someone just starting a journey? You know, someone just going into a business improvement role or a leader just joining a company that's early on in their journey. What did, where would you tell them to start, start? What advice would you give them? I would probably say understand the business, understand how the business works, um, what the what the fundamental structures are, like who are the basic customers, you know, from a customer perspective, how the business works, and moving it backwards. Understand the needs of the people. Understand, for example, you know, go to the shop floor, go to the Gemba, wherever that is. Um, understand engagement scores if you have it. Um, understand metrics as well. So in my mind, I always think about, you know, it's like value to the customer, to the employee, to the, co- to the company, and then to society, right? The sort of environmental 
and not only environmental, but society is at, at larger as well. So I always think about these four areas. But I would say don't jump into solutions or conclusions very quickly on. I would say spend a little bit of time understanding the situation. Spend a little bit of time understanding if topics like lean or whatever have been burnt in the past, because that's sometimes the case. Understand what are the real needs, you know, how do we how do we unleash people's superpower, right? That's that's the idea. How do we get people to get engaged? How do you create created fun? And maybe you know you walk into a, a culture that's already fun. And I remember in 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 the previous company I worked for is like they had a sort of startup culture, and there were you know highly highly intelligent people with you know this fun element, but they were growing lots. And then at some point there was a decision from the CEO to bring in these experienced guys from completely different cultures, you know and bring in their, their grown-up company sort of philosophy in. And honestly, that didn't go down so well because basically, you know, these two, there was a huge culture clash because this was more like a very colorful, very fun and interactive world. And then all of a sudden, these guys are more like, I would say bureaucratic, more traditional, more hierarchical, you know? And, it, 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 you know, there's a huge culture clash. And so when I was there and I was coming from, from, from Toyota, and it was like, how do I make this work for them, right? How do I make it really, you know, inspired that it it resonates and it's not, not this automotive guy from a Toyota coming in. It's more like, look, no matter what I did, that's the past. I'm trying to learn. And my purpose here is to, you know, help you or, you know, support you into be reaching ex levels of excellence that, you know, you, you, you can achieve, but maybe you're not achieving today. So... Um, and I would say also humility is, is, is a key part, humbleness. Um, again, it depends on the company you go for because other companies prefer loud, you know, speaking rather than humble people. But I would say a lot of people appreciate humility, especially if you have a strong sort of background and you have a, a really high position coming in, into and, for example, go to the Gemba and, and produce things with them is an awesome thing to do. It's really fantastic. And people say, okay, wow. Or in Hilti, we are very much encouraged, for example, to go on field rides to understand the sales process and the customers and what we do. That's, that's, that's highly important to really get a feel for it for yourself. And then, and then start connecting the dots and actually seeing it as well at a, at a sort of like higher level. Um, and another thing I would say would be there are different levers of change. It's very interesting. You just Google this stuff. It's just this thing. I think it's called the change matrix or something. Uh, and, and, and it gives you, it says leadership plus vision plus, you know, a strategy or a roadmap plus, you know, engagement plus, you know, first wins equals sustainable change, you know, something like that. Don't remember exactly. And then underneath, it tells you the kind of phenomena that you would have if one of these elements is missing. If you don't have leadership support, you know, then you get confusion. If you don't have a uh, a strategy, you know, if, if, you, if you don't have uh, the right skills, for example, you have frustration. So just know that it, it is very much in, in that sense, a sort of equation. Um, and I like what uh, I heard once from, from, from Danaher, I have to admit. Uh, he says, there are four types of people in the company. There are leaders, and I'm not talking about leaders from a hierarchy, but those who are willing to lead the change with you. There are tourists. There are people that are saying, okay, I'll go anywhere you want. You know, I'll get on the bus. I'll take the pictures, you know. Um, there are prisoners. 
okay, I'm, I'm just here because my manager told me to be here and I don't know why I'm here. You know, prisoners, the classic, and everybody's experienced this at some point in their lives. And they're the assassins. They're like the ones that say, it'll never work. No, no, we tried it before. Yeah, lean works there, but it doesn't work here or whatever, lean, agile, operational excellence, however we want to call it. And he says, there's only one group of people you should really focus on. And those are the ones who are willing to lead the change with you. And many times we are distracted from the people who are trying to tell us otherwise or trying to convince the prisoners why it's you know amazing this training. But honestly speaking, it says focus your energy because you have a finite amount on those who are willing to change, to lead the change. And then the, prison, the tourists become leaders. The prisoners may become tourists. And sometimes you, know, you have people in the organization that won't ever accept what you're doing, and that's fine. Sometimes you just need to ignore them. So a few basic techniques of understanding the business, showing empathy, understanding the levers of change, getting leadership buy-in, I would say, would be one of the highest priorities also, because we know that uh, a lot of people want the change, but tend to um, not want to change with you as leaders. We have this uh, saying, um, we say people that want to take a shower, but don't want to get wet. So it's good, really good. If you, if you can get leaders on board with you and you can speak the language to get them engaged, if you can um, intertwine the, the, the operational excellence part within the strategy of the business, then they're going to lead it with you. The techniques um, that I would suggest to somebody who's starting, um, especially in organizations and leaders who are quite strong and opinionated, I would say the best strategy is Co-create. Co-create is one of the best strategies because then it becomes their own strategy. It becomes their own way of thinking. It becomes their own direction. They see themselves in the end results. And um, every time I've co-created, it works fantastically well. And every time I've gone and said, you know, this is sort of like the direction I believe you should take, there's a huge reaction. So it's just the same thing, yeah. you know, I, you go to Kaizen workshops and if you, as a, as a facilitator, try to tell, like, for example, the operators what to do, they'll say, nope, you don't understand my business. So all you're doing is you're facilitating a process. That's what you call the facilitator, right? And I've been in Kaizen where they're all always coming like this. And at the end, they absolutely love it because you gave them the freedom, you gave them the basic direction. Um, you gave them some techniques, fine, but you, you appreciated and you uh, respected their opinion. Exactly the same thing happens with leaders. They want to be heard. They want to have a say. They want to they co-create. They don't want to be told, in many cases, you know, strong opinionated leaders. But if you co-create with them, it's fantastic, the results. They will defend it with you. They will, they will go the extra mile with you. And then if you have the leadership support, you know, then it's much, much easier. Whereas if you don't have it, you know. Yeah, that's powerful. Thanks for that, Costas. I, I, I totally agree with you on that co-creation too. It's focusing on becoming a good facilitator to bring out the greatness out of everyone rather than being the expert. You know, other people, it really always brings better results faster, doesn't it? Costas, what has motivated you to, to stay in this industry and keep going and be driving on like you are now with Hilti on, a, on another journey and working forward? What is it that keeps you on that journey? Um, I'm very curious. I guess you could say there's always new things that are coming out, new revelations. And, um, you know, I'm trying to crack the code still. 
on how do we drive sustainable change. <clears throat> but honestly, I mean, there's new things that are coming out now on a lot of fronts, which are very, very, very exciting, right? There's, I mentioned, there's the digital piece, which is super exciting. There's another whole world <clears throat> we didn't cover, but learning. How do we get effective learning? Yeah. Uh, I visited a, uh, a sort of university in, in, in Paris uh, called School 42, and they teach, um, they don't even teach, but nevertheless, I'll use the word teach, uh, how to do coding, but they don't have professors, nothing, zero. And it was like, what's happening here? How is, it, how is this happening, right? And by the way, the, 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 the people coming out of that school are phenomenal coders, but they have no professors. Because basically, they, they've sort of gamified the whole experience. They have a sort of Facebook type of uh, interface where you have certain skills. And at the beginning, you get challenges and you have to, you know, resolve those challenges in certain ways. And there's multiple ways to get to an end result. At the beginning, you do it alone. And then you put it in a group. And then you do it with companies. And you can send each other challenges. And then you learn from each other. And you're learning from... So it's when you put the learner in the center of the learning for example, you understand that it's not about you trying to force it through, but you give the person opportunities to learn and gamify that experience, and then it's magical. And so these things are coming out not, you know, they haven't been around for 50 years, you know. Our school systems don't work like that, right? And we're trying to discover what is what needs to change in order to drive that even stronger. So a lot of new things are coming out in these areas. Learning is a big one. Um, how do we drive behaviors is, is a very big one for me. I mean, for, for most companies as well. Um, so I'm always intrigued for, with the area of how do we become better? How do we, um, I guess you said, you know, we said it earlier, how do we unleash people's creativity and superpowers? How do we drive happiness and also uh, a sense of fulfillment is also very close to me. I'm Greek. So philosophy comes very close to me, you know? Um, so, and also, also, I mean, the, the, there are new revelations now coming up in terms of like organizational structures that are quite interesting. Um, for example, uh, there's a really good book called Reinventing Organizations. Um, and how do we drive, how we went from a world where it was more like, uh, you know, very hierarchical, very mechanistic. Then we went slowly into more this family oriented type of uh, environment. And how it, it's much, very much evolving towards being a sort of like self-organizing teams like an organism, right? Without a lot of hierarchy, without a lot of back offices. That's very interesting. And, uh, and if you look at different sort of like, um, you know, thought leaders in the area, including Jeff Sutherland, actually, they're all talking about the same thing, right? Yeah. You know, the team of teams or Scrum or, you know, the sort of like, organism type of you know um self-organizing teams they're all talking about the same thing it's like how do we give people the right level of competence and how do we give direction and then we let them let them lose basically and don't make it so heavy with a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of roles and a lot of you know um who's doing what exactly but it's not like that it's you know and i think people will become much more happy if they have this sort of like freedom instead of being micromanaged, let's call it like that, or even, even, you know, having so many layers of hierarchy, which causes you to have so much consensus or waiting for decisions, you know? So how do we drive the decision-making down? How do we drive it to the people who have the information and let them move fast 
and you know experiment and if they fail fail fast and learn and continue you know yeah so it's there's all these new things that are coming out now which which are super exciting and i'm always thinking about okay how do we how do we adapt that how do we how do we embrace that information or knowledge because i don't think that um as a species we're also at at the pinnacle of our you know capability let's call it like that so that's that's sort of like where i'm coming from yeah, there's some exciting things happen happening out there i have heard of that middle layer of management and the blockages that happen there is being called permafrost and mud and many different words for it but you're right it's exciting when you think about the new ways to unleash you know agility and speed and pace within an organization and power and you know allow people to own things and run it like it's their own and it, within the frameworks it's, it's awesome Costas, what have, what have you learned recently? What's been the most insightful learning you've had in recent times that you didn't know before? I mean, there's a few things because I keep on, I'm always interested in self-learning, right? Um, I mean, as I mentioned, this this revelation of, of this sort of, there's so many actually sort of trains of thought that are coming in the same direction. You know, as I said, there's a team of teams. There's this, um, what's it called, this... Uh, Submarine leadership, I think it's called, um, where he's talking about how do we give more, you know, power yeah. and 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 decision making. Um, there's Scrum. There's um, um, what's the other book called? It's called uh, From Good to Great. And they're they're all talking about very 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 similar things. And it's for me, it was like an aha moment. I was thinking, all these books are talking about the same thing. You know, is is one of the biggest revelations I would say. Um, another one, I mean, I picked up recently called the cultural map. And so I'm Greek. My wife is Turkish. I've, I've lived in, I don't know how many countries. I also traveled so much with, uh, with Hilti and other companies as well from China to the U S to Australia a few times as well. And then in this, in the book, I actually gives you a lot of revelation as to why different cultures are, are thinking the way they do or how they're acting the way the behaviors element. Um, and that sort of brought it very nicely together where they're trying to explain with a few sort of um, frameworks why, for example, the Germans are the way they are, the US or the Australians or the Chinese. And of course, that's not to say that everyone's like that, but there's a general tendency in the culture. And I think that if you're working with global teams, it's a fantastic book to pick up. I mean, apart from the book side, honestly, this topic about behaviors and the first time we ran sort of like these workshops and the sort of reaction and positive reaction we got uh, and, the, the, and the buy-in, it's really incredible to see. So it's really changing the way we're working as a, as a team, also as a group and towards driving this topic of excellence. We're not driving the same way we used to 10 years ago. And um, the, every time the more I reflect, the more I understand, for example, the kind of thoughts or learnings that i had at toyota 15 years ago and how it's coming back again and again so it's, it's quite interesting to observe that because as i i can hear the similar trend coming through our conversation then especially when you're talking about the cultures because what you've spoken about that today that understand first and then tailor it to their language into their organization or their country make it fun and then focus on the key behaviors that are important now i can see that that formula that you've spoken about today it would help you succeed or achieve gains in any site, any country, because you're not going in with a predestined outcome, are you? Well, that's 
It all interconnects. But I really appreciate your time today and for sharing your knowledge and helping us all create a better future. And thank you again, Costas. That was awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. It was a pleasure. The key takeaways for me from this episode were take time to truly understand an organization and its people and then tailor your language and improvement efforts to this understanding. The final one is make change fun and motivating. I have a big background in sales excellence. The foundation of achieving excellence in sales relates back to Stephen Covey's famous saying, first seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Trust is so important to achieving success with any change. Trust comes when people feel you are taking the time to understand them and your motivations are for their benefit and not your own. Trust comes when people are able to relate to someone, relate to change. By taking the time to understand an organisation as people first, you are showing empathy to them, demonstrating you are focused on helping them and not yourself. You are also gaining the knowledge that will help you develop relatedness for them through a tailored approach and language. This will help build trust, and trust is a major catalyst in achieving any form of change. I have myself overlooked making change fun and engaging in the past. I am a systematic person. I have focused on going through the steps rather than making the steps fun and celebrating success. I have found to achieve improvement in this area, I had to focus on improving two of my behaviours. The first being planning events and engagements with the attendees' experience in mind. The other was taking the time to celebrate or simply recognise achievement when it is identified. We've all been involved in projects and work efforts where the going is tough. We achieve a great outcome and then straight away move on to something else. We've all experienced projects and efforts where we have worked hard, recognised progress along the way, celebrated success and then moved on to the next thing. Sometimes it is our lack of making progress transparent visual that stops us recognising it. In other cases, we don't have an inspection approach to stop, look at the progress and allow us to celebrate or recognise. As humans, we are all more likely to move towards things we find fun and exciting than things we find laborious and boring. Thanks again, Costas, for a great episode. Bye for now.